Good morning. It's nice to be back here at Resurrection. It's good to see my buddy Bryce. I always enjoy uh, getting together and hanging out at Presbytery with Bryce, so it's, uh, it's fun to see him and to see Resurrection continue to grow. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read that. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 28, it's on page 835. If you uh, do not have a Bible and you want to use the blue Bible, that's on the floor. Page 835 is Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at verses 16 to 20. And these are the final words of Jesus. And so would you please stand with me as I read? Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we come to your words, the words Uh, that you have given to us, that reveal to us who you are and what your will is for our lives and the grace, the gift that you've given to us in Jesus. Would you be with us this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A year ago in Panama City Beach, Florida, it was the summer and uh, there were still people on the beach. It was the evening, and there were uh, two boys, 11 and 8, and they were out in the water. The lifeguards had left for the day. It was, it was after 6 o'clock that evening, and these boys were out on their boogie boards about 100 yards from the, uh, the, the beach, and they realized that they couldn't get back, that uh, the rip current was so strong that they were stuck out there. They tried to swim sideways, straight. They couldn't do it. So they began to yell, and, and eventually, um, mom and dad see the boys. And so mom and dad go out there to the boys, swim out there to rescue the boys, and they get stuck. And so grandma comes, swims out. The cousin comes out. They're stuck. So six people are now about 100 yards away from the beach, and they can't get in. So this group of these two pairs, four people, uh, strong swimmers, see the six that are stuck out there. And they go to them, and the rip current is so strong, they're stuck. So now you have 10 people, 15, 20 minutes have now passed, and they're stuck 100 yards from the shore. Now people on the shore begin to see this. They know what's happening. There are no lifeguards. They call the police. The fire department come. But they're not getting into the water because it's too dangerous. And so they have to wait for a rescue boat to come, but they don't know when it's going to come. And so this crowd is now gathered on shore watching these 10 people 100 yards in front of them, and they're stuck 20 minutes. 
25 minutes, 30 minutes go by when a group of five people get an idea to link arms together. And so they begin to link arms, the first person on the beach, and they begin to move into the ocean. 10 more people join, linking arms, now you have 15. 20 people gather, now you've got over 30 people, another 20, over 50. Eventually, 80 people begin to link arms from the beach all the way 100 yards into the ocean where they're able to reach the 10 people and then they pull them along the, the human chain all the way back to the shore after about an hour and they rescue them. God calls his people to come together and to be a family, the people of God, that they might support one another, encourage one another in this journey that we have with Jesus. And God calls his people, the people of Resurrection OC, to join God in his mission of rescuing people. That Resurrection OC might be a church that would link arms together for the sake of Orange County and might reach out to people so that they might be saved. We see this from the very beginning of God's plan as he's gathering a people. Part of the gathering of people is that this people that would become his own would be on mission. We go back to Genesis chapter 12, all the way back to the first book of the Old Testament. And we see that God relays this plan to Abraham. This is what he says in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And so God is gathering the people and he's saying, you will be mine. And the kind of people that you will be will be a blessing. And then he says this in verse three, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's quite a statement. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your family, Abraham. How is that possible? How is it that the church, that the people of God are the blessing for the world? What is that blessing? How can we, the church, bless the world? We go to the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to the people who live in Galatia. And he gets very specific and he refers back to this time in Genesis 12 to Abraham and what the blessing is. It's Galatians chapter 3 verse 6. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And here it is. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So what is the blessing for the world? What does the world need most from the church? It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has lived the life that we should have lived, that he died the death that we should have died, and that he rose from the dead so that we might live forever. That's the gospel into the world. And from the very beginning, the purpose of the church, 
was that the church would take the gospel out into the world. And so what that means for Resurrection OC is that as you gather together and as you live this life, journeying together, being part of community groups, worshiping together, that you would also be on mission. Because what you have here is the blessing for the world. It's the greatest gift that the world could have. Not just God's plan in the Old Testament. We see it also when Jesus comes, that it was his plan as well, that the gospel would go out. As Jesus is beginning his public ministry in the book of Matthew, we see this in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So Jesus calls these first followers and he says to Simon and to Andrew, I want you to follow me, but know this, if you follow me, what that will look like is that you will fish for people. You will pursue people with the gospel for the sake of the kingdom. Did you know that in the gospels, Jesus only gives his followers one prayer request. He only asked for prayer one time. It's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Let me read it to you. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And here's his prayer request. It's his only one. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, pray. Would you pray for me that God would send people to take the good news into this world? We come a little bit later and Jesus is, is teaching. He has these three parables. And these three parables are teaching one point. They're making one point. It's, it's Luke chapter 15. It's the three parables of the three things that are lost. It's a lost sheep. It's a lost coin. It's a lost son. And the first point that we see is that the lost has tremendous value to God. And so what we see there, you have this shepherd. And the shepherd has a hundred sheep, but one goes missing. And that's a huge deal because people didn't have their money in a bank account or stocks and bonds. Their money was in their livestock. And so to lose one of the hundred, it was a tremendous loss. Then you see the second parable. You have this woman and she has 10 coins and she's missing one of the 10 coins. She's probably a widow. All of her wealth is in those 10 coins. She's missing now 10%. The lost has tremendous value. And then we come to the father, and he loses a son. He has two, and he loses one. And so the first point is that the lost have tremendous value to God. But the second point is that there's an all-out search for the lost. And so the shepherd, he leaves the 99 behind to search for the one that's lost. And you have the woman. She can't go to bed. She could wait till the next morning when the sun comes up. She can find the coin, but she can't sleep. And so she moves her furniture around. She lights a lamp. She searches for the coin that's lost. And then you see the father. And he is just waiting for the son to come over the hill, waiting and watching. 
for God, the lost have tremendous value to him. There's an all-out search for the lost. And then we see the third thing. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he calls all of his friends and he says, we got to get together. The lost is found. We've got to celebrate. When the woman finds the coin, she calls all of her friends and she says, let's have a party. And when the father has the son return, he throws a huge party. This is the heart of God. He loves the lost. There's an all-out search for the lost. And when the lost are found, the angels rejoice in heaven, the scriptures tell us. When Walt Disney was dying of lung cancer or emphysema, he, he smoked a lot. You would never see this because he made sure that there were never any pictures of him taking while he was smoking. But as his health was failing, he was in a hospital. And he couldn't speak anymore. And so he wrote down um, his final words on a piece of paper. And then he died. And the final words that he wrote down were this. Kurt Russell. The actor. (laughs) Kurt Russell. And nobody knows why. Like, why did he write this down? They're not sure. His final intentions were very unclear. (laughs) But Jesus's were not. Matthew chapter 28, we read it early. I'm going to read it again, verse 18. These are his final words. It's after he's resurrected from the dead. He comes to them, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying, take the gospel into the world. Let them know that God has loved them and pursued them. And Jesus is saying this. If you're going to follow me, what that will mean in this life is that you're going to fish and pursue people. And if you want to pray for me, this is how I want you to pray. That God would send people into the world to pursue people. And if you want to know my heart, nothing causes my heart to rejoice more when the lost become found. And my last words, to be clear, is that you might go and that you might make disciples. When we were living in Minneapolis, when I was doing RUF at the University of Minnesota before we moved here, I heard this story about a boy named Mitch. And this took place in a Ronald McDonald's house in Minneapolis. And I don't know if you know what a Ronald McDonald's house is, but it's this great thing that McDonald's does uh, to, to provide a home, usually near a hospital, for children who have terminal illnesses. So they can be very comfortable and family members can come and visit them. It's a great thing. There's this boy named Mitch. He was eight years old, and he had cancer, and he was dying of cancer. And he had a roommate who was also a boy, and he was also eight years old. And it was around Christmas time, and Mitch was there with his father, and uh, his roommate was there with his parents. And Mitch and his dad overheard a conversation about Christmas. And so his eight-year-old roommate said, Mom and Dad, will there be presents this year? Christmas. And the mom and dad said, I'm sorry, son, but we've used all of our money up trying to get you well. And the boy just started to weep that there were going to be no presents for this Christmas. Mitch and his dad overheard this conversation. Later that evening, they began to talk about it. 
And then Mitch got an idea. He said, Dad, how much money do I have in my bank account? Mitch and his family were pretty well off. He had $6,000. And so he said, I want to go and I want to get it out. Are you sure? Yes, Dad. And so the next day they went to the bank and they withdrew $6,000 and they went across the street to the CVS and they got a box of envelopes. And so Mitch began, because he knew the people who were living with him, he'd been there for months, he knew what their needs were, he began to put $300 in one envelope and he wrote their names down. $500 in another envelope and he wrote their names down. $700 in another envelope and he wrote their names down. And then that day, if the door was open and nobody was in the room, he would take the envelope and he would put it on their bed. If they were in the room, he would take the envelope and he would slide it underneath the door. And then as that day unfolded, he heard these children erupt with, with joyful hearts, with, with, with cries of excitement that there was going to be a Christmas. And it was a wonderful experience for Mitch to listen to, to hear his friends be excited. And at the end of the day, Mitch said to his dad, Dad, this, this has been the best day of my life. We have to do this again next year. And his dad said, well, you know, Mitch, we've talked about this, but you're not going to be here next year. And Mitch said, I know, Dad. So you're going to have to do it next year. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 28. He is leaving the world. And it's the greatest gift that the world has ever known. It's the blessing for the world. And Jesus turns to his disciples. He turns to you, Resurrection O.C. And he says, you're going to have to do it now. This is what God has called us to do as the people of God. When I came to the University of Minnesota to, to start the RUF there, I had been previously at Penn State University. And uh, at Penn State University, I was the chaplain of a fraternity. It was an agricultural fraternity called Delta Theta Sigma, DTS. And the way these works, uh, the, the, the way it works there is um, you'll have guys who live in the house, and then they have little sisters. So it's part of the fraternity system. And so I was the chaplain there. And so when I came to the University of Minnesota, there was a DTS, on, a DTS house on campus. And so I began to email every DTS member at the University of Minnesota a, a personal email saying, I'm here. I was the chaplain at Penn State University. I would love to meet up and talk about perhaps doing what I did for you at Penn State. Then I had the president of the Delta Theta Sigma fraternity at Penn State who had become converted um, during that time while I was the chaplain, I had him email everyone an email saying, this is who Chad is, he's going to be contacting you. Nothing. I prayed that summer for Delta Theta Sigma, and then that fall, I signed up for a class for, uh, with my friend Bart Moseman, who Bryce knows. Bart was there to plant the church in the Twin Cities, I was there to do the RUF, and so we had just arrived there in August. We were going to take a class to get to know the campus, so we signed up for bowling class. It's a great class to take if you want to hang out. So we signed up for this bowling class at the University of Minnesota, and we get there. And University of Minnesota is 50,000 students. It's a large university, and so we had assigned seats. So Bart was assigned on lane one. I was assigned on lane two. And I had been praying for Delta Theta Sigma, no, nothing from them. 50,000 students, and guess who is sitting beside me on lane two? 
two students from Delta Theta Sigma that God had placed there. And so I got to know these two students. It was a guy and a little sister um, to the fraternity. And so they were, they were with me that whole semester. We got to know each other, became friends. I would supply the firewood for their bonfires. And we got to the end of the semester um, and they were about to graduate. They were graduating that December. And so I said to them on the week of their graduation, I said, I would love to get together and tell you what I do. And they said, great. And I said, how about we grab coffee? And, you know, these are, these are farm kids. And so the guy was like, I don't do coffee. So I was like, well, you're graduating, you're over 21, how about a beer? And he's like, all right, we'll do that. And so I took this guy and his girlfriend, who's the little sister in the house, we went out and we just talked about the gospel. Um, and I explained to them the gospel. And I remember the guy said, I've never heard this in my entire life. And the girl said, I wish we would have, I wish we would have talked about this sooner. And then they graduated. But I tell you that story really to tell you this story is that Bart, who was in lane one, um, got to know a girl on lane three whose name was Darnetta. And Darnetta was the worst bowler in the class by far. <laughs> like, she got a 40, that was a really good score for her. And so Bart began to help her, the five minutes that we could bowl um, after class, Bart began to work with her to help her to bowl and to knock down pins. And so this happened over the semester and they got to know each other and eventually the class ended but that friendship that Bart had with Darnetta continued, and so they would meet for coffee, and eventually, as Bart is explaining the gospel to Darnetta, she gets converted. She becomes a Christian. She joins our church plant. She gets baptized. Three months after her baptism, she's diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Three months after that, she's dead. And Jesus loved Darnetta, and he sent Bart to tell her the good news, because Jesus was unwilling for her to perish and not be with him, but that she might have eternal life. And she does. I want to tell you a quote um, from Penn Gillette. Uh, Penn and Teller uh, are in Las Vegas, and they've been around doing illusions and magic for years. And Penn Gillette is an atheist. Um, but this is what he says uh, about Christians. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't share their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share your faith? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. For Resurrection OC, it's a good thing to be at church that gathers together, that worships together, that encourages one another, that builds community. And it's a great thing to be a church that gathers together, that builds community, that fellowships with one another and takes the mission of Jesus into Orange County. 
that people might know Jesus and be impacted by this church. If you are here and if you are not a Christian, if you are not sure exactly what it is that you believe, but you came here, maybe you were invited or you're just thinking through, I did not become a Christian. I did not become a Christian until later in life. I did not come from a Christian home. But what we believe here at this church is that Christianity makes the most sense of the world. That, that, that there is a God who carefully designed this world and it's beautiful and it's thrilling and exciting. And, and yet at the same time, we experience brokenness in this world. Broken relationships, broken family ties, um, people dying, people getting sick, um, politics that we don't care about. So we have, this bro- we have this perfect, beautiful world, and yet now it's broken. And not just the world, but us. Like, like there's a sense of we're not the people that we want to be. And we want to be different, but yet we have a hard time changing. And so, so understanding who Jesus, it makes sense that God would make this world. We broke this world by our own choices. And now God loved us so much that he's sending Jesus into this world so that he might repair that relationship. And so the world and us who are broken, we might know Jesus and not have to be separated from God. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. And it wasn't just enough for him to pay for our sins, but he had to rise so that we might live forever. And so that's what we believe. And if you want to keep on exploring and asking questions, we would love that. Talk to Bryce, talk to other folks here. And for people of Resurrection OC, God has given you a beautiful gift, and now he's asking you to share it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we get to read your Bible and be reminded of this gift that you have given to us. Jesus, this grace that you would love us, that you would pursue us, all the way to the cross. Lord, thank you for... Um, these reminders of how much you love us. Lord, help us to shine like a light here in Orange County. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.